But uh, we've been in this series called Peace Has Come. Sounds like a good Christmas series, right? Uh, talk about the whole peace on earth, goodwill towards men. You probably got it on a greeting card. It's in songs, all that kind of stuff. And so we decided to name this conversation Peace Has Come. And we've been in this conversation. This is our third week. And here's what we said. And some of you are in this boat this morning. Some of you are in the boat. You say, if peace has come, it missed me. Some of you are like, if peace has come, I didn't get delivered to the wrong address. Because there's some of you this morning, like, peace is not what I feel. A lot of people at this time of year, they're looking for peace and happiness, right? And so the first week we said this, all by way of review, you can go check this out online. Mitchell, just keep up with me. I have no idea where we're going to head today, okay? But here's the deal. We said this week one. We said one thing that you can find when you uncover happy people, you can find they all have this in common. They all are at peace, They all are at peace. And so that leads a lot of people who want to be happy this time of year. I need some peace, right? And so it leads us on this pursuit, this search for peace. The problem is this. Many of us, in an effort to want to be happy, in an effort to find peace, we look for peace in a what, a where, or a when. And so we talked about this week one. Some of us are like, I'll be happy and be at peace when I finally get this, whatever that something is. Or I will be happy and I'll be at peace when I finally get to visit somewhere, when I can go to that place. Or I'll be happy and at peace when I get to this stage in my life, when I finally graduate, when I finally get married, when I find a boyfriend or a girlfriend, when I finally retire, when the kids leave the house, I'll be at peace. Here's what we said. We said that a lot of us think that way because in this search for peace, we want to be happy. So therefore, we're looking for peace in a what, where, and a when. And we said what's interesting about that is this, is that we live in one of the wealthiest countries on the entire globe. And so in this room, the majority of us can afford more what's than most of the world, can afford to go to more where's than most of the people in the world, and can look forward to more when's than most people in the world. And yet our country leads the way. We lead the way when it comes to depression and anxiety. Somewhere we're missing peace along the way. And we said this, it's because peace isn't in a what, where, or when, right? Peace is not circumstantial. It's not situational. It's not even material. But we said peace is in a who. And those people who are truly happy, we said it this way, they are at peace. First and foremost, they're at peace with themselves. If you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go online and listen. They're at peace with themselves, They understand what the Bible calls this peace of God. But they're not only at peace with themselves, they're at peace with others. And we're going to talk about that today. In fact, everybody look here a second. I don't think, everybody look here, I want to see your eyes. I like it that way. Nudge the guy beside you if he's sleeping, all right? But I want to see your eyes. I do not think all of today is going to be an easy talk. Turn to your neighbor, fist bump him, say, I don't think all of today is going to be easy. Turn to your neighbor and say that. Go ahead. This is an all-play moment. Yeah. That's the first time I've ever seen you guys like fist. That's awesome, man. I like it. Happy people are at peace with others, and they're at peace with God. We said week one this, that this is the secret, that literally peace with God is what paves the way for me to be at peace with myself and others, that it's foundational. And if you weren't here, I just want to tell you this so that you understand where we're going. The Bible would teach this. So I don't know what you feel about the Bible. Maybe you're here for the first time. But the Bible would say none of us are born naturally at peace with God. All of us are born in conflict with God. And to make matters worse, and we just talked about this, none of us, none of us, the Bible would say, on our own can make our own peace with God. 
So that famous statement, I hope they made their peace with God, the Bible would say none of us on our own can do that. That's why Christmas is so awesome. Peace came, that God is the one who made the move, that God is the one who took the initiative to make peace with us possible. That's why he sent Jesus. And so peace with God starts not by becoming more religious, doing a lot of great things. Peace with God starts by saying yes to Jesus and what he did. That's what Tiffany was showing us. She said, I said yes to Jesus. That's what she's saying. I said yes, he's the only one who can save me. But she wasn't just saying that. I, I, she's saying, I say yes to Jesus. She's saying, I say yes, and I think he's the only one that can lead me. He's the only one that can give me eternal life, save me from my sins, and he's the only one that can lead me into abundant life. That's what she's saying, right? That's what it means to say yes to Jesus. And so then when I begin to have this peace with God, it is the thing that leads me to be able to experience this peace of God because the peace of God is me continually practicing the presence of God in my life. It's not 10 steps to tranquility. That's not what finding this inner peace is about. But it's about practicing this presence of God. And we talked about this last week. Now, can we just say this this week? We got some places to go. Can we say this? This is a participation moment, but can we say this whole peace on earth thing, this whole peace on earth thing would be a piece of cake if it wasn't for other people? Can I get an amen on that? Yeah, don't look at anybody, just amen me, right? Yeah, I mean, this, this whole thing about peace on earth would be a piece of cake if it wasn't for other people. In fact, some of y'all are like, I just need some peace and quiet. And when you look for peace and quiet, you know what you do? You get as far away from people as you possibly can. Why is that? Well, you know why that is? You ought to write this down somewhere because people can steal our peace. In fact, I would say it this way, people will steal our peace. You just will have people in your life that will steal your peace. That leads to a problem we got to acknowledge. The problem is this, because if people can and will steal our peace, here's the problem, and then we got to solve the problem. The problem is this, you and I work with people, we live beside people. If you're here and you're married, you're married to a people, right? And you know what happens if you're married to a people? Guess what? You two people get together and you reproduce what? Peace-stealing, peace-wrecking people, right? Hey, man, that was a little too loud, right? (laughs) Yeah, our church is full of people. The community we live in, full of people. This country that we find ourselves is is full of people people. We live on a globe with just over seven and a half, ready? Seven and a half billion with a B, peace-wrecking, peace-stealing people. In fact, I did a little research. I enjoy this kind of stuff. Last 3,400 years of history, last 3,400, 3,400 years of history, this is what we found. Last 3,400 years of history, there have been 268 years that they would consider where mankind has been at peace. And I think that's questionable. At peace, nation to nation. Over 14,000 different wars, over 3 billion, I think it's higher than that now, people die. 8,000 peace treaties. 1945, the United Nations came into being following World War II, devastation of World War II, and its central mission, United Nations central mission, is the maintenance of international, what? Peace and security. 
And it kind of makes you scratch your head and think, I wonder if the angels got it wrong. I wonder if when the angels showed up that first Christmas and said, peace on earth, I wonder if it didn't dawn on them that this earth was gonna be full of peace-stealing people. Because here's what you know. Let's just get real for a second. Where there are people, there's gonna be differences that divide us. Are you tracking with me? And where there are people, there's gonna be conflict that creates hostility between us. I'm gonna say it again. Where there are people, there are gonna be differences, and those differences, we live in a culture now more than ever, it feels like, those differences divide us. And where there are people, you can almost count on the fact there's gonna be conflict that's gonna create hostility between us, and it's gonna steal, disturb, wreck, erode our peace. That's why the story of Jesus is so interesting to me. Jesus was born. We celebrate that at Christmas. It's awesome, the decorations. But he did grow up, right? He became a man, this this incredible teacher. And what's interesting about Jesus, he became this incredible teacher, this man, and and he did his ministry in, in a world full of people, by the way, right? But his first recorded sermon, right, we have it recorded. He said something interesting that I think is interesting for our consideration this morning. Here's what he said. He said, blessed, let's stop for a minute. You know what that word blessed means? It means happy. That's interesting, isn't it? Happy, blessed are the, say it out loud, are the what? All right, I'm gonna need some help this morning. Let's try that again. Happy are the what? Now I feel peace, okay? Because they will be called the what? Say it out loud, the what? Children of God. What's Jesus saying? I, I, I want this to lean into you a minute. Here's what he's saying, because this needs to lean in. He's saying happy are the at peace people because those are the people who are gonna make peace with people. That's what he's saying. He's saying happy are the at peace people because they're the ones, because they're at peace, who are gonna make peace with people. I would write it down this way. Let's write it down this way for the sake of this morning. Get your notes out and write it down this way. When I say yes to Jesus, that's what Tiffany publicly, I said yes to Jesus. When I say yes to Jesus, I become part of the family of God. And here's how I would say it. When I say yes, I'm part of his, that's God's family of peacemakers. It makes sense, right? When I say yes, sins are forgiven, I'm invited into his family. And the reason it makes sense that I become part of a family of peacemakers is I have a father who made it possible for me to be at peace with him. God made it possible. The only way for me to be part of the family of God is he made peace possible. And so when I say yes to Jesus, I trust what he did for me and I can have peace with God. And what Jesus is saying, I want you to hear this, in a culture that accentuates how differences divide us, in a culture that wants to fan the flame of conflict that creates hostility between us, he is saying this family that God is putting together, this family of people who've said yes to Jesus, stand in stark contrast to our culture because this family has as its primary family trait, peacemaking. 
The New Testament writers pick up on this whole idea of family and this idea of we belong to the family of God the minute we say yes to Jesus. And they kind of tease out, well, how in the world does peacemaking look in the family of God? Fair question, right? So you have your Bibles open to Ephesians. And in Ephesians, there's a guy who's writing whose name is Paul. And there are several things that when it comes to other people, steal our peace. And the very first thing Paul wants to address is this, is that people's differences, instead of creating peace, can be the very thing that creates competition and creates division. And what Paul wants us to see is this. He wants to see that in the family of God, in this family where the family trait is peacemaking, that differences don't divide. But here's what he wants you to see this morning, that peacemakers, peacemakers actually celebrate each other's differences. I need to help you understand this this morning. And listen, if ever there's a time our culture needs to hear what I'm getting ready to share, it's now. It's now that our culture is looking for something different. You see, here, here's the deal. Let's make short work of this. Mitchell, just stay with me. But here's the deal. You got your Bibles open to Ephesians. I like you to understand what you have your Bibles open to. It's a letter that's written by a guy named Paul. But he's writing it to real people in a real place with real situations. And here's what you need to know. The people that he's writing to, they had differences. And the differences they had created hostility among them. The differences that the people Paul is writing to created division among them. In fact, the differences they had were, listen close, racial and religious. And the differences they had created such a wall between them that literally, literally in their church, in their worship space, they built a wall to divide the two sides. On this side, the Jews can worship. Over here, the Gentiles can worship. You tracking with me? Like, like literally there is a wall that would somehow point to the division, we're different. And because we're different, we can't come together. Can we just stop for a minute and say there's not a physical wall in our building, but there's not a physical wall probably in your homes. But can we just say this, that we all in our minds and our attitudes probably have walls? Can we just say that? Like, I, okay, you don't want to admit that I got that, but I can say we have walls, right? Racial walls. Can we just say that? Like, it's easy to create racial walls in our mind, black, white, Hispanic, can, can we say that it's easy to create generational walls in our mind? Can we just say that? Old, young. Can, can we say it's easy to create economic walls, the rich and the not so rich? Gender walls, male versus female, right? It's easy to create walls. Can, can we just say it's easy to create religious walls? That's the church people. That's the not church people. Can we say, you ready? Everybody look here. Can we say, I mean, can, can we say, this? I'm gonna be tender here, can we say that it's easy to create, you ready? Political walls? <laughs> I mean, 
The point is that there are so many ways in which we create walls. It's like, not physical, but these lines of demarcation that we create. And here's what happens. These differences we allow to divide us because what happens is they create mistrust and sarcasm and anger and hostility. And you with me? And these lines that divide us create, you with me? Prejudice in each of us. And we become afraid of what we're not familiar with. And you know what's at the root? We're just getting real. You know what's at the root of prejudice? You know what's at the root of it? It's pride. It's pride. Because somehow my prejudice says that my way of thinking or my way of life or my kind of people is just a little better than their way of life or their way of thinking or their kind of people. And what Paul says is this, is that Jesus changes the whole conversation. Look at Ephesians chapter two. I want you to see this, so fascinating. He says, for he, that's Jesus, he's the prince of peace, for he himself is our peace. He's made the two groups, remember he's talking to a church service, they would have had a wall, two groups won. And he's destroyed the barrier, he smashed the wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the wall, the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create. So he didn't just smash, but then he's gonna create. He's gonna create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. I don't wanna linger here, but I want you to hear what I'm gonna say. What Paul is saying is that in this family God's putting together, we celebrate differences and the reason we celebrate differences is because Jesus came and the reason he came was to smash walls. In fact, he smashed the one wall that we all have in common. And that is we all have a wall between God and us. And when Jesus came, guess what he did? He died, he put to death in his flesh all the things that stood against us and he smashed the wall that stood between God and us. And here's what he's saying. Listen, listen close, listen close. I'm gonna correct some thinking because I've talked to people. Paul is saying all roads don't lead to God. You ever heard that? Paul is, Paul is saying that is not true. Paul would say that is not true. In fact, if that is true, Jesus is a liar. If all roads lead to God, then Jesus is a liar. Because Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. What Paul was saying, the only way for you and I to have a relationship with God is to walk the road that Jesus cleared the way for. What he's saying is this. He's saying that Jesus came and smashed the wall. So whether you're rich or poor, whether you're black or white, whether you're, you're, you're educated, uneducated, whether you're a man or woman, young, old, doesn't matter. There is equal footing at the cross. Everybody comes to God the same way, and the only way for us to come to God is on the road Jesus cleared the path for. That's why he died. But it doesn't stop there. He says this in, in verse 19, and then we'll move on. He says, so consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, fellow citizens with God's people. You're members of his household. So he's putting a family together. 
And then he uses this building analogy, this household he's putting together. He said, it's like a building. It's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. And in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Everybody look here and then we're gonna move on. Here's what he's saying, that our differences don't divide us. We actually celebrate our differences. And the reason we celebrate our differences is because as God's family, we realize the one thing we have in common is we all come to God the same way. And then he smashed the wall that that kept us from coming to God. He died in our place. But then when we come to God, he said, I'm putting this family together and it's like building a building and it's got all these different sizes and shapes of stones that I'm putting together into this building. But he said, the thing you need to know, this building that has different size and, and shapes of stones is lined up on a cornerstone and that cornerstone is Jesus. What is he saying? He's saying this whole thing called the family of God is incredibly diverse. It's not about uniformity, it's about unity. And we've all come to God the same way through Christ and we're all lined up on the same person, Jesus. He's saying this, that we're actually better because we're different. And we create this beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. You know, here's what he's saying. In a world where there's no peace, can we just say this, can we say this? We live in a culture that wants to eradicate differences. Did you know that? Come on. We do. And you know what God does? No, no, I don't want to eradicate them. I want to redeem them. Like, it, like in this world that wants to eradicate differences, God says, no, no, I'm putting together this kingdom, this family. And in the kingdom of God, we appreciate the differences in the genders. We applaud different gifts and skills We recognize and and elevate the differences in the races. We are a family. We are a family, listen, listen, of Republicans and Democrats and independents who serve a king. That's what we are. And so our differences don't divide Actually, they come together. What Paul is saying is the more different they are, lined up on Jesus, he's the one who unites, and we give to the world. Our world needs to see this, this incredible picture of the kingdom of God. You see, I believe if ever our culture needs to see this kind of unity, it's now. Right now. Paul says something else, though, that... that that I want you to see, and we'll see how far we get on this. By the way, I think this is, you thought, I think this is the part of the talk that's gonna be hard, okay? So Ephesians 4, I want you to go there, verse 31. I want you to see this. He says, verse 31, he says, get rid of, remember he's talking to the family of God. He's saying, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and every form of malice. Like what kind of, that's not like my family of Thanksgiving, some of you think, right, huh? Can we be honest? There's nothing that destroys peace quite like conflict in relationships. Can we just say that? And in a family, can I just say this? Some of my family's sitting in the room, right? Can I just say this? There would be no conflict in my family if they just all agreed with me. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, I don't know why they haven't got the memo, right? 
As long as we have family, as long as we have family, right, we're going to step on each other's toes. We're going to get in each other's way. We're going to get in on each other's nerves. That's what's going to happen. Here's what I know. Listen, listen, listen. Right now, some of y'all in the room, right now, some of y'all in the room don't have peace. You know why? Because you have unresolved conflict in your life. Right now, there's some of you that you can't, peace is coming, like, I don't have peace. And, and, and I think what Paul is saying is one of the biggest family traits of belonging to this family of peace is simply this. I would write it down this way, that peacemakers, that's what we are, peacemakers resolve conflicts uniquely. They resolve, con- here's what peacemakers do. Peacemakers elevate the relationship above the conflict. And so you're saying, well, how, how in the world do I do that? Everybody look here. Can I give you five things to write down this morning? Can I give you five things? And I, yeah, I got one yes. Thank you, John. I got one yes, five things. And these are, these are things that I think are very important for a family of peacemakers to consider. And, and before you type the email to me, The first two come right from the mouth of Jesus. So send him the email this morning, okay? Because look at what he says. He says in this very first sermon, he says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, here's what he's saying, if you're at church, that's what he's saying. If you're at church and there remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, there's not peace. He's saying, leave your gift there in front of the altar, First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. If I'm reading this right, let's not try to read it. If I'm reading this right, Jesus is saying, if I come to church and I'm like, oh, there's all kinds of problems and that, but oh, I'm here at church and I got this problem with my husband. I got this problem with and, and I know they've got something against me. He's saying, why don't you go ahead and leave? and be reconciled to the one who has something against you. What's he saying? I think he's saying this. As a family of peacemakers, we are willing to make the first move. I think that's what he's saying. And we talked about this week one. It's worth revisiting. I think what he's saying is that we will make the first move. Can we just say it this way, that when we have conflict with someone else, a lot of times what we do is we wait for the other person to make the first move? I got one person shaking their head yes. And you know why we do that? Because we usually think we were the one who was what? Right. Right? That's why in your house, right? We talked about this week one. Then you get in a squall, we get in a conflict, and you go to your corner and you wait. And the reason you try to outweigh your spouse is because you think you're right. Problem is they think they're right. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, in this family that I'm putting together, peacemakers are willing to make the first move, even if they're the ones who are right. You know why? Because the only, thank you for asking, because the only way, she's with me, man, the only way that you and I belong to this family is because God, what? Made the first move towards us. Oh, by the way, in case you weren't here week one, can, I'll let you in on this secret. In the conflict we have with God, he was the only one who was right, completely right. 
You see, I think that's what Jesus is saying. It's like when you understand what it means to belong to this family where God made the first move, like when I realize there's something, I'm willing to do what God did for me. I'm willing to make the first move. Jesus isn't done. A little further in the same sermon, he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? See the family theme? But when you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, you seem to ignore the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? He's saying, you hypocrite. That's not a compliment, by the way. He said, first take the plank out of your own eye. And then when you do, you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What is Jesus saying when it comes to conflict, the very thing that steals peace? I think he's saying this. He said, we're going to be willing as peacemakers to look in the mirror first. I think that's what he's saying. I think what Jesus is saying is that when I have peace with God, I have this humility that frees me that when there's conflict with someone else in my life, I am free and even wise enough to look in the mirror first. Because can we, let's be honest, when we have conflict with someone, isn't it much easier and much clearer to us what they are doing wrong? Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. It is so easy for me to pick that out. It's so easy for me to see where they're wrong, right? And and, and it is much harder for me to look at myself first. Why? Why is it hard for me to look in the mirror first? You ready? It begins with a P. It ends with an E. It's pride. And see, when I realize that only humbly can I belong to the family of God, all of a sudden, I realize that now I'm free to look at me because here's the deal, okay? I know me. I know me. I don't think I'm alone here, by the way, but I know what's in me. I know there's pride in me. I know there's ugliness in me. I know there's selfishness in me. I know in me there's stuff. And so when I look in the mirror, regardless of how right I might have begun, when I begin to look, I'm like, well, maybe, did I? Could I have overreacted? Did I speak in a way that was unloving? Did I? And I begin to look at me. That's what Jesus is saying. In this family of peacemakers, I'm willing to make the first move, not wait it out. I'm willing to look in the mirror first and then. Jesus had this half-brother. His name is James. And look at what he says. He says, James 1, 19, he says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. See the family theme here? You must all be quick to, say the word out loud, quick to what? Listen. Listen. Slow to what? Slow to get what? Why? Because human anger doesn't produce the righteousness God desires. What's he saying here? I'd write it this way. In this family of peacemakers, we'll seek to understand, not simply demand. I think he's saying we will seek to understand not simply demand. Let, let me ask you a question, all play moment, okay? I just, this is confession time, ready? How many of you in the room, be honest, how many of you like to be right? Raise your hand. 
Some of y'all are lying, I think. I'm not sure, right? Ready? Hands down. How many of y'all think you're always right? Raise your hand. <laughs> How many of you are married to somebody who thinks they're always right? No, that's terrible, right? My wife, my, my wife came to me and she said, hey, Dan, I found this really cool cup. I'm like, awesome. I said, what was cool about it? She said, I loved what said on it. I said, what say on it? She said, this cup's really cool. She said, this is what it said on it. <clears throat> she said, I think I'm going to get it. I said, that's awesome. I said, what it say? On the cup it said, I didn't know when I married Mr. Wright, his first name was always. <laughs> I said, that's a nice cup. Who are you going to get that for? <laughs> she hadn't answered me. <laughs> you see, the fact of the matter is, guys, we, if we're honest... We think we're right. We like to be right. And you know what happens in our relationships? We demand to be what? Heard. Make our point. And I think what James is saying is, well, if you want to experience peace in relationships, why don't you first seek to understand before you demand? That's what he's saying. And the way you seek to understand, you ready, is you learn. I see some young people right here. I'm going to tell you something that, that I wish somebody told me at your age. You learn the art of asking good questions. You, you learn the art of asking good questions. And then you know what you do? One of the most selfless things you can do is ask questions and then what? Listen. Just listen. You see, I think that's what James is saying. I, I, I see this play out in my office. I was telling Aiden earlier, I said, I don't feel like I'm preaching a sermon this morning. I feel like I'm in my office having a conversation I have hundreds of times. I had a couple in my office just recently and they had been squabbling with each other for years. The marriage had gone like, like this. And they'd come and talk to me separately, and I knew what was going on in each of their lives. And when they came and sat on my couch, like, I began asking questions, and it was evident that they didn't know all that was going on in each other's lives, that they had built this huge wall and isolated themselves from each other. It's interesting, right? And so what I began doing, there's no magic to this, by the way, Right? I began just asking questions, and the questions were just to take a brick away, until eventually we began taking a brick away, and as they responded, until eventually the questions just lowered the wall. Guys, I, I, I want to tell you, in my 26 years, I've never seen a picture quite like I saw the day when the wall came down, and they heard each other for the first time, and they looked, and they said, I had no idea you were hurting like that. I had no idea you felt that way. And on my couch, this couple that was so far apart embraced each. I mean, we were all bawling in the room. What happened? What happened? All that happened was we sought to understand before we demanded. That's all that happened. Some of, listen, some of you, the best application you can, you can take is there might be somebody, you might be sitting beside somebody right now, and there's no peace. In fact, chances are a room the size you are. Somebody is. Somebody's sitting. And, and maybe the application is for you to go home and begin to seek to understand. Because when I, instead of seeking to understand, demand, you know why I demand? It's a word that begins with P and ends in E. And it's called pride. And what Jesus is saying is in this family that he's putting together, the only way for me to enter the family is humility. I can't save myself. 
and that humility as it plays itself out all of a sudden shows up when I submit myself to others, leverage my life for the other's benefit. James doesn't stop there. This is the part of the program that I think really begins to land home, to be honest with you. Verse 16, chapter five, he says, confess your, what's the word? Say it out loud, your sins. To who? That's interesting. You don't hear much about that. I think I confess my sins to God. Yes. What does it mean to confess my sins to God? I agree with God. Can we just say this? Sin isn't talked about some places very much, but all that it means to confess my sin to God is I agree with God. And the reason that is so important is because I can rationalize away my sin. Did you know that? Like I can minimize it. Oh, it's not that bad. It's just not as bad as her. It's not as bad as him. It's not, I don't know. I just, right? But, but, but when I come, and this isn't like guilt, guilt. It's like when I come into the presence of a holy God, I call it what he calls it. Exactly what, how he sees it. See how that works? But what James is saying, it's not just I confess my sin to God. I confess my sin to each other. I think what he's saying is this, is that in this peacemaking that resolves conflicts uniquely, I think he's saying we humbly confess when we are wrong. When, when, when I'm wrong in the relationship, I think what he's saying is I humbly come and confess. I call it what it is. Everybody listen, I'm, I'm gonna, I, I wanna give you some practical things to hang on to. You know what keeps me from coming and confessing when I'm wrong? You know, I don't know if you've ever heard, but it begins with a P and ends with an E. It's called pride. It's called pride. You know, I mean, you don't struggle with this, I know. But when I do something that is wrong to my wife or even my kids, you know, you know what's easier? Let a little time pass. It'll go away. You know what's easier is for me to say, well, you know, I realize I talked harsh to you, but I've been under a lot of stress, sweetheart. I think what he's saying is confession is me coming. And can I just say this? This is for free, but this is my opinion. Now I went into my opinion. I think what he's saying is don't come and say, you know, Mike, if I've done something to hurt you, don't come say, sorry. I don't think that's what it means to confess our sin. I honestly don't. Sorry. And the only reason I say this is because I raised three kids. And, and when Joel slugged Aaron in the head with a bat or whatever, I'm like, Joel, you need to go to your brother and say you're sorry. Inevitably, he would do. You already know how it plays out. He goes like, sorry. Was he sorry, yes or no? Yeah, he's sorry he got caught. You see what I'm saying? Instead, you know what it means to confess your sin? You know what it means? It's to come and say, Mike, Mike's my friend right here, by the way. Will you please forgive me? I need something from you for hurting you by fill in the blank. You see what I just did? I just called out exactly what it was that I did to hurt him and what I need from him is forgiveness. Big difference. There are some of us in this room who have no peace. You know why? Because there's something inside of us that refuses to say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me for hurting you by. 
For some of you, that person you need to ask forgiveness from is your spouse. The best way to apply today is to go home and have that conversation. Honestly, for some of you, the the person you need to have that conversation with is your children. Like I've been having this conversation all morning and I had parents come say, is is it really good for a parent to, to do that with a kid? I mean, you might lose your position of power, you know, if they think you were wrong. You go home and do that. And I promise you, you'll experience a power and influence in their life that you never had before. Because they'll get a chance to see the gospel play out. See how that works? You see, Paul said this in chapter four, and I gotta be kind of quick, Mitchell, but he says, be completely, say these two words out loud, completely what? Humble and, remember last week, gentle is at peace with myself. It's only when I realize how I enter the family of God and I experience the presence of God that I can be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. But I wanna tell you something interesting and this is all morning I've been talking to people, this is the hardest part. Peacemakers humbly, they resolve conflicts differently so they humbly come and they confess, they ask for forgiveness when they were the ones who wronged. But can I tell you something that is tricky? The same pride that would keep me from asking you to forgive me when I hurt you, listen close, is the same pride that would keep me from forgiving you when you ask me to forgive you. That's why Paul said this. He said, get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. What? Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. What he's saying is this. Some of us are not in peace. You know why? Because we're in prison. Some of you are sitting in a prison this morning. It's a prison of resentment and bitterness. You refuse to forgive. Because if I forgive, they'll have gotten away with it. And I gotta hang on to it because I just feel better. Oh, really? You see, I can't think of anything more freeing you'll do but to extend what you've experienced. He said, I want you to forgive. Why? Because it's the right rule? No, forgive because that's the only way you have a relationship with the one who forgave you. Don't forgive them because they deserve it because they might not, they probably don't. Forgive them because there's somebody who forgave you when you didn't deserve it. I'll never outforgive God. You see, I've had this conversation many times, and I think what he's saying is this is that we humbly confess when we're wrong, and we humbly forgive when we're wrong. And I already know, just, I guess you get old enough, I already know for some of you, it's like that, that, that infuriates you. Because you're like, you don't know, Pastor Dan, and you're right, I don't. You're, you're right, I don't. But I don't know of another pathway to freedom than to extend what you've experienced. And for some of you, you're in a prison and there's no peace because you're withholding Forgiveness, thinking to yourself, in this prison of bitterness and resentment, somehow I'm gonna feel better. There's no peace.
begs a question. This is where we'll slide home, Mitchell. Begs a question, what happens if someone has done something wrong to me and they could care less about it and they don't ask my forgiveness? What do I do about that? Look at the screen, Romans 12, verse 18, powerful passage says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at what? Peace with everyone. It's a great passage. I like that passage, but how in the world do I do that? Well, I've taught you this before. You got to step back and turn the lights on the rest of the passage. It's in a context. And here's what it says, verse 17. It says, don't repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Then he says this, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Now, I don't know what you're thinking, but I know what I'm thinking when I read that I'll feed him, <laughs> Right? Come on, we might as well get real for a minute. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In so doing, you'll reap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What is he saying? I think he's saying in this family of peacemakers, we resolve conflict uniquely because we believe God settled the score at the cross. And so because we believe God settled the score at the cross, we can meet cruelty with kindness. Because at the cross, God extended to us kindness even though we were cruel and enemies with him. I got to see this play out as a kid in the most unique fashion. I shared this story a couple years ago. Chances are none of you remember it, so I'll share it again. My father, you've heard me share, my father is a guy that, I respect, love, honor dearly. He's gone, been gone for several years. When I was a child, I was in the fourth grade. I'll never forget this. Dads, your kids are watching. I just want to tell you that. I played flag football. I was about four foot 11 and five foot wide, right? I was wider than I was tall, but I was the quarterback because I could throw the ball. We had a flag football game and we had no referees. So they had to get some parents to referee, and they asked my dad. He reluctantly said yes. He was going to referee a flag football game. As the game went on, I remember there was a particular call in the game that one of the parents from the other side didn't agree with. Imagine that, right? Nothing's changed under the sun. This guy was huge. This guy was about six foot three and just muscles everywhere, tattoos, just like that. And he began yelling at my dad, but that wasn't enough. He was so frustrated because he felt like there was a call the referees made that went against his son's team that he started to walk out on the field. And he got about that far from my father. If you had known my father, he stood about five foot nine. He was not an intimidating presence. And I watched this guy call my dad things I had never heard put together before. And he began to challenge my father physically. Now, if you had known me as a kid, I had a temper that ran deep. And so I was in the huddle and I saw this, I was like a little Rottweiler, like, don't you dare, I'll come on, I'll take you down, you know, I got, and I'm watching my dad, right, spit, hitting his face, and this guy's like, I'm gonna, let's take this outside, who do you, and like, and I'm like, don't let him get away with that, you know, like, 
And my dad just sat there. He just like stood there and looked at this guy. My dad, in a real calm and gentle way, in the middle of this craziness, people are going nuts. He said, man, I'm sorry that you feel this, and I'm sorry. I remember my dad stuck his hand out. The guy wouldn't shake his hand, and everybody was mad. And that day, it was awful. It was just awful. And I remember I was crying. Man, I wanted to. I remember a few weeks later, I will never forget this. I remember this man's name who came to challenge my father. His name was Mike. And I remember a few weeks later, my father was putting his, putting his coat on, getting ready to go somewhere. I'm like, Pops, where are you going? He said, I'm going to the hospital. I'm like, hey, who are you going to visit at the hospital? thought I might know him. He said, I'm going to visit Mike. Mike who? Do you remember the guy at the football game a couple weeks ago? I'm like, do I remember him? Like, why are you going to visit Mike, Dad? Why would you go visit that guy who called you those things? I remember when my dad returned, I remember like, I wonder if a fight broke out in the hospital, you know, I'm like really interested. Like, Dad, how'd it go? He said, Dan, I have a new friend. And in that hospital room, my father had a chance to introduce Mike to a relationship with Jesus. I'll never forget it. You see, here's what I know. There are some of us in this room and we have people in our life that have been so cruel to us and the way that we've been taught, you were taught like little fourth grade Dan, that, that when someone is cruel to you, I'm gonna be cruel back, even worse, and I'm gonna, and, I, and what happens is this, don't miss this, in the midst of being cruel back to their cruelty, I become just like them. For some reason, my father decided I'm gonna turn to the cross where I experienced kindness even though I was cruel. And in the middle of turning to the cross where I experienced this kindness from God, he invited somebody who was cruel to him to the kindness of the cross. Listen, I'm not saying it's easy. My father had years of practice with that. I'm not saying he was perfect either. What I'm saying is, is that conflict in relationships can ruin our peace. And some of you, I can see it in your eyes. There's no peace. There's no peace. And maybe this morning there's no peace because there's this conflict that's unresolved. And maybe, Paul says later in Ephesians, Let's throw Ephesians 6 up there, Mitchell. He says this, stand firm, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of what? Peace. He says, pray for me. Though when I speak, words may be given me so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Listen, listen, listen. Stay with me for a minute. I want you to write this down somewhere. I think what Paul is saying is peacemakers are ready to share the gospel of peace. I think what Paul is saying is when I understand what it means to belong to this family, I'll be the one who makes the first move. 
when I understand what it means to belong to this family, I'll be the one who looks in the mirror first. I'll seek to understand instead of always needing to demand. When I realize what it means to belong to this family, I'll humbly ask for your forgiveness and I will humbly extend forgiveness. Can I just say it this way? There, you, some of us in this room, you know what? This is not a church service you came to. The, the service isn't over after I pray. Like for some of you in, in this room, it's just beginning because when you begin to hear what God has to say this morning, the very next thing, the very next thing you need to do is not whatever you had planned, but the next thing you need to do, someone needs a Christmas gift from you and the gift they need from you is for you to make the first move. I don't know who it is. It might be your son. It might be your daughter. It might be your spouse. It might be your neighbor. Someone from you needs to receive those words to say, will you please forgive me? I know what I did was wrong. And there are some of you that need to extend to somebody in your life a gift. And that gift that you need to extend to them is the gift of forgiveness. And the minute you extend that gift to them, you realize it's a gift that somehow you've given to yourself. It's the gift of freedom. You see, Father, I don't know where everybody's at this morning. It's a hard message. Really, it is. And in a room this size, my guess would be there's conflict, there's not peace. And a lot of times it's because others steal our peace. And for some of us, maybe it's these walls that we've built. And I pray, God, if, if that's us, that you would help us to realize that you smashed the wall between you and us and that, God, there's equal footing at the cross and that you're building this beautiful thing. And I pray that Grace Church would be this beautiful picture that celebrates differences lined up on Jesus. For some of us, there's conflict that's never been resolved. And God, I pray wherever, wherever we need to take what you've said to us today, I pray that we would do that first thing, that we would do that the first thing when we leave this service. And God, as we do that, that we would then be ambassadors of this incredible peace that you offer, willing to let people know that you're a God who made the first move that you're a God who absorbed the hurt, that you're a God who canceled the debt in Christ. And so I thank you so much that we can have peace with you because of Christ. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.